Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. What do you love about music? To begin with, everything. Putting on a great show is the most important thing you can do. One great rock show can change the world. Welcome to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cutts. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. This week on the world's only rock and roll talk show, Jim and I are going to count down the best albums of 2008 so far. One of our favorite shows of the year. Plus, Greg and I will review a new album from My Morning Jacket. You're listening to Sound Opinions, and time now for some music news. That's a little bit of Mozart's Symphony Number no. 41, and perhaps you're wondering why we are playing that at the moment. Well, we like to discuss how music seeps into and informs our everyday life, and uh, Dr. Claudius Conrad of Harvard University in Boston has also been exploring this issue in terms of his surgeries and how classical music, how music in general, can help the recovery process, can help ease the stress and pain of his patients. Dr. Conrad's also a classically trained pianist, and he studied music philosophy in addition to medicine, so he's an ideal guest in terms of dealing with this intersection of music and medicine. Welcome, Doctor, to the show. Hello, how are you? Very good. Uh, intriguing piece about you in uh, the New York Times recently describing how uh, you have been working with music and the positive health effects of music on the human body. What got you intrigued uh, in exploring this particular area and merging it with, with medicine, with surgery? Well, I started out very early to be involved in music. Um, at age three, I had my first music instruction and started with the piano at age five and then always had piano um, as a very important part of my life. And then once I went to medical school, I um, had conservatory training as a pianist and then started to work as a resident, and I always thought, how could I combine the positive effects of music with what I do in medicine? I designed that study to look at how can we use music, and I specifically look at Mozart's music, to study stress pathways in very sick people in um, surgical ICU patients. Can you sum up, Doctor, what you found when you started uh, studying this? The study design was that we had patients in a certain post-operative period and two groups, one that would receive the music and one that didn't, which we then compared to each other. And all were ventilated. And after um, a certain period of time, um, the sedation for them to tolerate the music, to tolerate the vent was turned off and then music was turned on and we had a specific selection of um, slow movements from Mozart's piano sonatas. And then before and after the music intervention, we measured certain parameters of the stress system. 
And then by looking at those single parameters we found, we came up with an entire strength pathway on how music acts relaxing. So you're saying that music basically helps the healing process. It does, you know, and more specifically, um, patients um, in the ICU, and if you can reduce the amount of sedative medication they need, the patient will, is more likely to survive and will do better. Did you look, doctor, at what exactly is happening uh, scientifically? Is, is it, uh, you know, are, are, is something produced in the brain that causes a, a calming effect, almost an anesthetic, or is, is it the, the breathing is matched up to the tempo of the music? I mean, what's going on in the body? music is processed in the brain and what we found uh, was that the growth hormone which is secreted from the brain is upregulated and this was amazing to us and recent evidence has shown that growth hormone acts on cells of inflammation in such a way that interleukin-6 is decreased and as a result of decreased interleukin-6 we measured the systemic effects decreased heart rate better blood pressure less need for sedative medication. So when you operate, doctor, when you're in surgery, you bring your iPod, right? Can you tell us what's on that iPod and and what effect it has on the way the surgery proceeds? So (laughs) I bring my iPod and other people bring their iPods and we have the music um, played over loudspeakers in the OR. You know, I like classic music very much, but that's and not the only music that is on there, and I have trance music. I'm from Germany. I have German rap. I have <laughs> music like Max Solar. I have um, a wide variety of music. I have some jazz. Um, but I, I mean, I like classic music a lot, and I found it that you, most you know surgery is a team approach, and I think it's the easiest to get everyone to agree on on one program that is uh, classic music. You uh, studied uh, Mozart in particular. Why why Mozart? Good question. <laughs> I started out, um, I had to start out somewhere, and to make my um, research comparable to other research that has been done before, I looked at Mozart music. But then, going backwards, I tried to identify factors in his compositions, compositional elements of relaxation, so to speak, in his music. And then I asked myself... <laughs> all the time. How come that someone like Mozart plays music that seemed to appeal to patients in such a positive way? And I went back to his biography, and as you might know, his life and his diseases are extremely well documented due to the fact that he traveled um, a great deal of his life through Europe and then sent letters back to his sister and his mother back in Salzburg. So from those letters, by him and his father, we have a very good understanding about his life and his diseases, at least his symptoms. And what struck me was the fact that he seems to be a person that had to deal with disease all the time. You know, compositions are an expression of what you experience, and I think that it went into his compositions, and maybe he treated himself with his composition. You know, speaking of which, uh, does music make you a better surgeon? My answer is yes, (laughs) but it's not scientifically proven. But what what I can say for myself, and maybe you cannot generalize that, when I found that the more I practice, the more flexible my fingers are, there's a gymnastic component about being a pianist, there's a gymnastic component about being a surgeon, um, you have to have the ability to move your fingers quick, um, especially if you're a surgeon. You have to um, feel the tissue, and people speak about this feel for the tissue. You know, certain tissue types have different textures, and the more you are able to feel out and be responsive to the feedback the tissue gives you, the better surgeon you are because the less damage you will cause. I think I'd be glad, though, uh, Doctor, if you were operating on me, that you were a pianist and not, in fact, like a drummer or a tuba player. <laughs> you know what I mean? The level of finesse, it would seem to me, the playing the piano, I, I'd want that. <laughs> okay. Um, I keep that in mind. <laughs> but now you also you have a degree in, in actual uh, music philosophy, right? 
That's right. Yeah. Do, do you think that more should be done to study? I mean, we, we take music for granted so much, and this is said all the time. You know, we're not educating kids about music anymore, and, and increasingly, you know, music is, is coming to be seen as, as a commodity, as rock critics. This drives Greg and I crazy when songs that we love and that have deep meaning show up, you know, advertising salad dressing. But, <laughs> but it seems like, I mean, you're just hitting the tip of the iceberg here. It seems like there's a lot for science to study. Very much so. Um, there's some evidence, um, pretty good evidence, actually, large studies uh, looking at kids in Canada and comparing kids that received computer training versus kids that received um, piano training, and their social skills um, were far advanced over the other kids. I think that um, musical training is the essence of um, human, is part of the essence of human interaction, of humanism, and it can't be stressed enough. Thank you very much, uh, Dr. Conroy. We appreciate your insights. Thank you very much. On your request, I compile a list of my top five resolutions for this year. I declined because I decided that I do not believe in the new year anymore. You must confess that at times like these, hopefulness is tantamount to hopelessness. And I accept that it's time for a change, but not in places like this with people like these. And my year as we say very often on Sound Opinions, rock critics love lists. In fact, all music geeks do. <laughs> Two of our favorite shows each year are the mid-year best of and the end of the year best of. So, okay, you just graduated, you got a new stereo, or you got an iPod for Father's Day, or it's just it's summer and you need some tunes. Here is our mid-year best of so far for 2008. Load up that iPod. These are the records we're going to tell you that you need to own so far this year, right, Mr. Cott? Absolutely, Jim. And uh, to start it off, as usual, we have the traditional Sound Opinions coin toss, heads or tails, what do you call it? I will call heads Lester Bangs. You can have tails, Peter Goralnik. And it's tails, Peter Goralnik. Thank you, Peter. Thank you, Jim. I will lead it off. We're going to go down in order, more or less, four through one. Our top tens will be on the website at soundopinions.org. So far, uh, so good in terms of the year in music, Jim. Many, many albums to choose from. One of my favorites of the year is the self-titled debut album by Santo Gold, artist whose real name is Santi White, a Philadelphia native, now resides in Brooklyn, has been around in the music business for quite a while, over a decade. She started out as an A&R representative for Rough House Records, a talent scout, and worked extensively on the debut album by an Armenian artist named Reese in 2001, which I loved. Now she's back with her first solo record. And like that Reese record in 2001, this is a record that might be categorized as an R&B record, but what I like about it is how it breaks outside of those boundaries. It doesn't sound like any R&B record out there today. It incorporates elements of soul and rock and new wave and reggae in a really inventive way. And at the core of it is the songwriting of, of Santi White. I think the, the hooks are there, the melodies are there, and that sets it apart from a lot of what you hear about in R&B today because of the production values. The production is, seems to dominate the songwriting. In this case, the production serves the songwriting. Santa Gold, here's the uh, first track on the record. It's called Lay Artistes on Sound Opinions.
Les Artistes from Santa Gold, one of my favorite records of the mid-year so far. Jim, what do you got? Greg, coming in at number four for me, it's the uh, second album by Gnarls Barkley. It's called The Odd Couple. That is the duo of DJ Danger Mouse, a.k.a. Brian Burton, and singer CeeLo Green. As we said when we first reviewed this upon its release... You know, they were coming off such a spectacular smash with their debut, Sane Elsewhere, sold almost a million and a half copies. The single, Crazy, spent 47 weeks on the Billboard album chart. Anything comes as a letdown after that, and I think it's unfair that this album has kind of faded so quickly from popular consciousness just because it is not its predecessor. The Odd Couple is indeed a great record. CeeLo Green is a wannabe goth, you know? Doesn't look the part, but he loves dwelling in the shadows on the dark side of life. When we reviewed the album, we played that incredible song, Who's Gonna Save My Soul? I mean, Geez, it would have been a Susie Sue hit, you know? <laughs> There's tons of great stuff on this album, though. I want to play a, to- a song here that is uh, one of these guys' charms is they are all over the map, and yet they still make a very focused album. They were going for almost like a movie experience here in taking you through this record. This is a song that's just a pure piece of garage rock circa nuggets or a freak beat homage. It's called Whatever. This techno DJ and this soul singer CeeLo and rapper should not be able to do a better Nuggets song than someone like The Seeds, and yet they almost do. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, this would have fit right on Lenny K's Nuggets compilation next to Pushing Too Hard and Louie Louie. Here's CeeLo Green, Danger Mouse, a.k.a. Gnarls Barkley on Sound Opinions. Whatever from Gnarls Barkley, uh, Jim's number four pick for the best of the year so far, 2008. Coming up next on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media, we're going to continue our countdown of the best albums of 2008 so far.
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. What you're hearing is a little bit of my number three album of the year so far. We're counting down our favorite records of 2008 so far. That is from a remix album of Michael Jackson's music released by the rapper Rhymefest on his Rhymefest.com website for free. Total musical contraband, taking well-known Michael Jackson music and recontextualizing it, remixing it, and uh, putting his own Rhymefest spin on it. To my mind, it's the best Michael Jackson music that has come out in 20, 25 years, maybe. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, Rhymefest did Michael Jackson a favor. Michael Jackson may not even know this album exists, but he should, because this is great stuff. One of my favorite records of the year so far. I love what Rhymefest did to his music, and uh, particularly so on the track that I'm going to play. What he's doing is he's riffing on these Michael Jackson tracks and uh, having these imaginary dialogues with an artist he considers a mentor, even though he's never met Michael Jackson. And I think his love and appreciation of Jackson's music is, is really evident. There's a lot of humor here, but he's not mocking Jackson. He's reaching out to him and saying, man, I love your music, and here's why, and uh, I'll prove it to you by digging deep. And he did on this particular track. He took Jackson's interpretation of the Bill Withers classic, Ain't No Sunshine, and put his own interpretation on it. Here it is, Rhymefest reinterpreting Michael Jackson's version of Ain't No Sunshine on Sound Opinions. You ever want something that you know you shouldn't have? The more you know you shouldn't have it. Got addicted to the game, to the money, to the fame. I'm walking through the club and everybody know my name, and that's a goddamn shame. When you lose everything from the crib to the kids to the rain on your wife's finger, Mike's finger, daddy is a nice singer. Try to do the right thing, but this is how your life ends up. When you a dreamer and turn them dreams into cash, and buy a beamer, retractable cylinder, where the grass get a lot greener, fans look a lot meaner, fabs is you like Trina's daddy is perfect. Oh, yeah, it's perfect and worth it because I deserve it. Thank me for my service. I got more cars, more ice, my own club. So nice, my own blood I gamble with. Losing that is no no. I just want to live right. Why it's hard to go to sleep at night. Mike, Mike, Mike. Come take a ride with us for a minute, man. Uh huh. Rhymefest And your man Lil Mike <laughs> Yeah, yeah Get ready Here we go again, baby Look You ever wanted something so bad Till you got it And it loses all the magic Then it just don't feel exotic Take it for granted Beat it up until you lose it Is it cars or your money Or your woman or your music Or you take the blue pill Living that illusion, but I spit my pill out. So now I'm living in my movement, and I'm moving like a panther through the drama and confusion of a future that was promised to a shorty that was losing. Rhymefest, riffing on Michael Jackson, riffing on Bill Withers with Ain't No Sunshine. Greg, I have to say I agree with you. Rhymefest is uh, doing extraordinary stuff. More people should hear that record. Now we're going to come to the point of our mid-year countdown where you and I have a bit of disagreement because you're wrong. Uh, Weezer's... (laughs) New album, Weezer, the third self-titled record in that band's 15-year career, I think has some extraordinarily strong moments. It's not beginning to end perfect or great. However, the high points are so high, the record is a must-own, in my opinion. I played, and I think 
wore my heart on my sleeve, talked eloquently, I hope, about the song Heart Songs, which is about falling in love with music. Let, let me give you another sample of this record. People have said, you know, Weezer has dumbed it down. In recent years, they've become an arena rock band, stuff like that song about the bong, hash pipe, or whatever, and, uh, and Beverly Hills. They're doing these, you know, catchy but big, simple, stupid arena anthems. Here, I think they've reconnected to what made their songwriting great on Pinkerton and the first Weezer album. There was a complexity. These were pop songs. They were very, very catchy, but they were almost as intricately put together as anything on Smile by Brian Wilson. Something like the Sweater Song had three or four distinct movements. And I think that Cuomo has tried to re... uh, Rivers Cuomo, the band leader, I think, has, has tried to reconnect with that part of his early songwriting, the complexity, the joy, and yet really making it accessible. I'll play you exactly what I mean. Here's a song called The Greatest Man That Ever Lived, in parentheses, <laughs> variations on a shaker hymn. Part of this song is a spoof of rap braggadocio. You know, Rivers Como is following that tradition that the Talking Heads set, that the Feelys set uh, of, uh, you know, Jonathan Richmond, the nerd as rock star. Rivers does not believe he's the greatest man that ever lived. However, you know, to hear him doing that and to talk about that kind of bragging and what it means in hip-hop, and then to break into, for no reason at all, a, a drum coda in the middle, a martial marching rhythm, and it works. This song has three or four parts that do not belong together, and yet they comprise a brilliant pop song. I'm really big on Weezer's third attempt at Weezer, being called the Red Album by fans. Here's that song, Greatest Man That Ever Lived, on Sound Opinions. You try to play cool like you just don't care, but soon I'll be playing in your underwear. I'm like a mage with a magic spell. You come like a dog when I ring your bell. I got the money and I got the fame. You got the hats to ride on my plane. You're giving me all that I desire, cause down with me. man that ever lived variations on a shaker hymn on sound opinions we are counting down our top albums of the year so far and mr cott the ball is back in your court thank you jim i want to go back to a band that uh, you and i have both loved in its previous incarnations portishead out of the uk their 1994 debut dummy defined the trip-hop sound out of bristol england that briefly took over uh, music from that country for a few years. And then they went away and completely reinvented themselves. They've come back after about a decade off to make their third record, which is simply called Third. What we've got here is that seductive trip-hop sound transformed into more of a uh, corrosive art rock sound that is taking some influences from German art rock of the 70s 
and avant noise that you might hear on a Nine Inch Nails record and mm-hmm. combining it with those seductive vocals of Beth Gibbons. We're still talking about loss and longing here vocally, but the musical backdrops have become more varied and in a lot of ways more aggressive. So I think it's a wonderful transformation for this band. They've reinvented themselves and they have created, I think, another masterpiece, and that is Third. Let's play a track from it. It's called Silence from Portishead on Sound Opinions. said with silence my number two record of the year so far let's give it over to jim mr cott you've already indicated you're going to give me some guff on this selection but i don't care lupe fiasco chicago rapper put out his second album the cool on december 18th 2007 it was supposed to come out before halloween record company pushes it back to the week before christmas <laughs> that is basically 2008 this is essentially didn't have any impact until 2008 when lupe went on the road with kanye west it, it is a great record, but I I firmly believe it belongs in the 2007 year-end list. You're, but you're living in a... In a I will in defer a, to you, Mr. DeRigatis. You're sir. living in a pre-internet world where we were locked into the calendar <laughs> on paper, my friend. Time is now a relative thing, as it was for Einstein, okay? Uh, I think that this record had its impact in 2008 when people started to see this guy opening for Kanye on his big tour. We, of course, have been fans since he debuted with an incredible record called Food and Liquor in 2006 and a hit called Kick Push, which I think did for urban skateboarding what uh, the Beach Boys did for surfing. The Cool is a much more ambitious album. Lupe said he wanted to make the dark side of the moon for the ghetto. Lupe is a fascinating character. He, He knows about the streets he is interested in street culture but he's also part of the black american middle class experience he grew up loving star wars playing video games he's a self-professed nerd he's happy about it part of this album is a zombie science fiction movie you know he's, he's writing a screenplay and he's playing different characters and he's putting them in the ghetto and part of it is just about uh well you know the Velvet Underground had that classic song, Rock and Roll. And Janie was a girl on Long Island who had, uh, you know, middle class aspirations and her worldview was very small. And then she heard this rock and roll station and it changed her life. Her life was changed by rock and roll. Lou Reed sang in 1967, 68. In 2007, I would say 2008, Lupe Fiasco is singing Hip Hop Save My Life. He's talking about how his world was shaped by this music. That's what The Cool is about. The Cool is about loving this music 
music and about how you don't have to do drugs and you don't have to be violent. You don't have to hate women and do all these things that the hip-hop cliches say in order to love hip-hop. Hip-hop can be more. You as a listener can be more. You as an artist can be more. This guy is quite simply one of the greatest young talents in hip-hop today. Here he is, Lupe Fiasco, Hip-Hop Saved My Life on Sound Opinions. He said, I write what I see, write to make it right, don't like what I be. I'd like to make it like the sights on TV, quite the great life, so nice and easy. See, now you can still die from that, but it's better than not being alive from straps. Agree, a meat notebook and a big that clip when it's pushed and a whack-ass beat. That's a track that's weak that he got last week, because everybody in the stool was like, that's that heat. A bass-heavy medley with a sample from the 70s with a screwed-up hook that went, stack that cheese, something, 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 stack that cheese. Mother, sister, cousin. Stack that cheese. He couldn't think of nothing. Stack that cheese. He turns down the beat, writers block impedes. Crying from the next room, a baby in need of some pampers and some food and a place to sleep. That plus a black Cadillac on D's is what keep him on track to be a great MC. Yeah. Well, you never heard of I push it harder for the ground. I feel like murder, but hip hop just saved me. One you never heard of I. Reps north side, so we rocks them braids. Eleven hundred friends on his MySpace page. Stack that cheese, got seven hundred plays. Producer made him take it down, said he had to pay. Open mic champ, two weeks in a row. XD boy with a B boy flow, glow like Leroy. You should see boy go. Got a daddy serving life and a brother on the road. Best homie in the grave, tatted up while in the cage. Minute May got his mama. Working like a slave. Down baby mama who he really had to honor. Cause she was his biggest fan. Even let him use a Honda to drive up to Dallas with to open up for amateurs. Let him keep a debit card so we could put gas in it. Told her when he get on, he gon' take her to the gallery or buy everything but the mannequin. You dig, 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 dig. Lupe Fiasco, Hip Hop Saved My Life. No matter what year it came out, a great record. We're going to continue with our number one album of the year so far, Me and Mr. Cotton. Then we're going to review the new album by My Morning Jacket. To tell us about your favorite album of the year or to comment on anything we said on Sound Opinions, call our hotline, 888-859-1800, or email interact at soundopinions.org. We'll be back in a minute on Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. Push it harder for the thug I feel like murder But hip-hop just saved me One you never heard of I push it harder for the thug I feel like murder But hip-hop just saved my life One you never heard of I push it harder for the thug I feel like murder But hip-hop just saved me One you never heard of I push it harder in high places I don't know which is which or who is whom they've stolen each other's faces Janet is there with her high head and hair full of bedroom feathers Janet is known to make dead men groan in any kind of weather Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media. We are running down our favorite albums of the year so far, and this is my number one. And uh, as I walked into the office today, 
to play my number one record, I realized that my partner here has also named this record number one. That is Nick Cave's new album, Dig Lazarus Dig. But since I got to the room first, that means I was before I beat you as usual. This happens so rarely. <laughs> That you are on top of something in the way oh, that I am. It's, oh, it's unbelievable. Oh. And actually, I'm trying to think of the last hey, time listen, we actually... listen, you didn't almost go to jail, buddy. <laughs> That's true. You'll always have that on me. You were this close to I going to jail. I got it now. I got the ultimate trump card. I'm going to have to just save it every six, eight, ten weeks, maybe. But you know what? I like you again because uh, you like the Nick Cave record as much as I do. So we, we, we can agree on something, which is, uh, which is great. Nick Cave, at age 50 is making some of the best music of his career. Here's a guy who started out in one of the great post-punk bands of all time, The Birthday Party, out of Australia in the early 80s, left that band in a, in a sea of debauchery and drugs and formed the Bad Seeds in the mid-80s, uh, the band that he's been working with for the last 20 years, a terrific band. And there was a point there where Cave seemed to be running out of steam in the late 90s. Um, he had he'd become hooked on heroin. He settled down, kicked heroin, got married, had a couple of kids. He thought, okay, midlife crisis coming up. No, he comes back with this amazing record last year called Grinderman, a very stripped-down version of the Bad Seas performing, basically a punk record. And now, I think, Jim, what he's done is taken some of that energy and brought it into this broader spectrum of music and instrumentation that the Bad Seeds had. And he's done two things. One, the humor that was on that Grinderman record oh, yeah. is back here again. So in addition to all these big themes that he loves to explore, death and God and the Bible, uh, he's bringing a sense of humor to it. And, and the other thing that I'm noticing about his songwriting is the sense of the pop hook. Those choruses and those melodies are there in a way that I had not noticed on his previous record. So I think in a lot of ways, uh, Dig, Lazarus Dig, is the great record of 2008 so far. Absolutely. And that's saying a lot because we thought the Grinderman record last year was one of the top, uh, I think it was in our top five, both of us. Extraordinary yeah. stuff. The thing is, uh, you know, Cave is a published poet, novelist, and playwright. He's a very literary guy, and he's funny, and he's sharp. So... In this song I want to play called Call Upon the Author, you know, you've got this great velvet underground or dirty blues groove happening, and Cave is is doing so many things at once. You know, at, at one point he is a literary critic. He is, he's talking about the benefits of Berryman over Bukowski, right? <laughs> he's a stand-up comedian. He's talking about how both of them went the Hemingway, which is to say they both killed themselves like right, right. Hemingway. And then at the end of the day, he's saying, I don't like the ending you're writing for me here. We call upon <laughs> the author to explain. Exactly. Uh, this is an extraordinary song. It's an extraordinary album. When the Bad Seeds come on tour this fall, they're going to be crossing the United States. You have got to see this group because it is really as great as these recordings are. Then the live spirit experience is a whole other level. Yeah. Can you tell we're fans? <laughs> and now we get to play it for you. Here it is, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds. Call upon the author from Dig, Lazarus Dig on Sound Opinions. So we had, we didn't, uh, and what we have now will we'll never be that way again. Uh, so we call upon the offer to explain. Our midsummer toy kids straddle the streets. We've shunned them from the greasy grind. The poor little things, they look so sad and old as they mount us from behind. I ask them to desist and to refrain. And then we call upon the author to explain Well, well, rosary clutched in his hand He died with tubes up his nose And a cabal of angels with, with finger symbols Chanted his name in code We shook our fists at the punishing rain And we call upon the author to explain Pain. We call upon the author to explain. 
pressure Well, the waves, the waves were soldiers moving Well, thank you, yeah, thank you, and thank you And again, I call upon the offer to explain Yeah, I call upon the offer to explain Call upon the author from Nick Cave's Dig, Lazarus Dig, number one so far in 2008. Go to soundopinions.org and the show notes to find out the rest of our list for the mid-year so far. Next up, we're going to review an album that may be in consideration for end-of-the-year lists from My Morning Jacket. That is the title track from the fifth studio album by My Morning Jacket, Evil Urges. Who is this band? We're talking about a quintet from Louisville, Kentucky, that really had its huge breakthrough with a sort of experimental art rock turn compared to its previous alternative country sounds on uh, Z, the 2005 album. That's what made them huge in the pitchfork indie rock underground and also among the Bonnaroo jam band fans, okay? This band has very successfully, over its previous four studio albums, straddled some divergent camps. They were an Allman Brothers for the old country crowd. They were a space rock version of Wilco fronted by a reedier-voiced Lenny Kravitz, all right? (laughs) There was classic rock, there was indie rock, there was invention, and there was jamming, man. For this album, they left the backwoods settings of Kentucky where they'd previously recorded. They worked with producer Joe Ciccarelli of the White Stripes and the Shins in New York City, the big bad city. And they took some stylistic turns. I think that the quote that that resonates over this record most is from band leader and uh, very distinctively tenor-voiced vocalist Jim James. He said, I don't want people to think anything in particular when they hear my morning jacket. I just want them to think of a question mark. (laughs) So this is the record, the all-important fifth record, the follow-up to the big commercial breakthrough where he's trying to toss up what my morning jacket is, who Jim James is, what this music is about. Let's hear a track from this disc. It's called Highly Suspicious from Evil Urges by My Morning Jacket on Sound Opinions.
Highly suspicious from the uh, fifth My Morning Jacket studio album, Evil Urges. Wow. If you're a My Morning Jacket fan, you're probably in shock if you haven't heard this record yet and, and came across that song. You're or going, at least you're highly suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Touche, Mr. DeRogatis. One of those tracks where you just go, what are they doing? And in fact, the initial part of this record, including the title track, and especially that song, is steeped in this early 80s electro-funk that makes me think of Cameo and Word Up. You know, Whoa, I mean, that yeah. sort of vibe. Except, not as good. Everybody keeps saying Prince, but it's not even that. It's not nearly that good. Y- you know, I mean, he's got the falsetto, so that, that makes for the easy Prince comparisons. And yes, Jim James is on record as being a, a huge Prince fan. But the rap on My Morning Jacket is that they're a great live band who has yet to make a studio record that really represents who they are on stage. And I've seen this band live, and they can be very, very good. This record seems to veer away from the idea of capturing that on-stage sound, because they've been unsuccessful at it in the past, and, and veering more towards a pop record. A lot of 70s and 80s AM pop influence on this record. There's the electro-funk tracks, and then there's a batch of uh, sort of sleepy soul and country ballads. Then they veer into an acoustic track about a librarian, you know, with the cliches about let your hair down and take your glasses off. You're really cute. Uh, You said 70s AM pop. I just have to say I have never heard a more just just horrible homage to Midnight at the Oasis than this song. Thank you, too. And then finally, we get to the trademark My Morning Jacket sound that people may have appreciated from earlier albums near the end of the record on tracks like Aluminum Park and Remnants, where you, where you get a little bit of a heavier guitar sound, and you get some of that sense of those southern roots that they were coming from. They're a pretty decent, psychedelic southern rock band early on, but there's very little evidence of that sound on this particular record. On one hand, I applaud the risk-taking. I applaud the fact that they are a rock band who is trying to do something different, working up in these different genres. But at the end of the day, it's not very good. Uh, Greg, I don't think there's any inherent nobility in experimentation if all of your experiments fail and if there doesn't seem to be any good reason for why you're experimenting. You know what the model is here when you talked about uh, giving up on doing the live thing in the studio and trying to – this is like Dave Matthews. Dave Matthews has always made a particular kind of record geared at radio programmers and then he does the live thing and the twain don't often meet, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what you got here. I just – I hate this record. I wasn't much of a My Morning Jacket fan before. I had some respect for them, but I didn't love them. And now on the buy it, burn it, trash it scale, this is like below a trash. This is not even really worth your time to consider throwing away. I think there needs to be a new category created somewhere beneath Trash It for that song, Highly Suspicious. Needless to say, none of this record is worthwhile. It's a double Trash It for me. Sad, Mr. Cod, but are we going to have anything better to talk about next week? Absolutely, Jim. We are going to have a great show next week because you and I are going to run down some picks for the great songs that define America in time for the July 4th holiday. And if our listeners have any suggestions for songs that define America or about America, send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org. Mr. Cott, as always, Sound Opinions has been produced by our ace team of Todd Bachman, Jason Saldana, and Robin Lynn, and our new intern, showing promise, Dylan <laughs> Peterson. And despite the fact that he was dancing in the hallway while we were playing Highly Suspicious, our executive producer and our fearless leader is, as always, Tori Southside Malatia. On Sound Opinions, everyone's a critic, so now it's time to hear what you have to say. New messages. Hey guys, this is Liam calling from Portland. I wanted to comment on the the news story you guys did about ACDC's um, releasing their upcoming album exclusively through Walmart. You expressed a little surprise about how since they were still under contract that their cut couldn't be as big or as significant as the Eagles cut was when they released their last album through Walmart. And I don't know, one thing that you might consider is that ACDC are one of the last great iTunes holdouts. 
their catalog is not available on iTunes, which recently became the second largest music retailer after Walmart. So maybe there's something in that contract about, you know, thou shalt not make thy music available on iTunes for at least this period of time. And that's about as close as I'll come to saying anything negative about ECDC, because uh, I still believe that they made some of the greatest records of rock records of all time, and in terms of what rock is really about, I think they might be the perfect rock. Keep up the good work. Thanks a lot. Hey, Jim and Greg, this is Steve. I'm in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and I just finished listening to your show uh, where you reviewed the Weezer, the new Weezer album, the Red album, I guess is what we'll call it. Um, and I wanted to let you guys know that I thought, Jim, you were right on. I think this, this album is great. It's a real return to form. This is the album that should have come directly after Pinkerton. Yeah, the three songs from the other bandmates aren't that good, but I agree with Jim that uh, Heart Songs in particular just totally makes the entire album buy it. Hi, this is Andrew from Trenton, New Jersey, and here's my comment. I've been listening to Jim hammer away at Bruce Springsteen, and, uh, you know, his argument is that Springsteen's so nostalgic, he has this, uh, you know, imagined past where everything was better, and this is all great. And then, last week, I was listening to uh, this Weezer song, Heart Song, and I'm thinking, how can Jim, who has been giving... Bruce Springsteen, this rap for being hyper-nostalgic, how can he endorse this terrible nostalgic drivel by Weezer, which it seems to me is basically Billy Joel's We Didn't Start the Fire for Music Geek. I just thought, if you're going to be hard on somebody about nostalgia that has just no content, this this would have to be the place to, uh, to turn your anger. Uh, so that's all I had to say. I love the show. Thanks very much. Bye-bye. Guys, this is Rob from Chicago. Greg, I need to respectfully request that you retire the use of the word facile. Uh, you used it three different times during the recent Weezer review, and uh, you know, I think in a more pejorative sense than it's t- typically used. The songs have become a little more facile. As you mentioned, there was sort of a move. He seems more, to be going through some kind of a midlife crisis, you know, at, at this point. Well, I don't know about <laughs> talking it. about you know what it was like being a kid again. And uh, I, no, I think no, it's no, rather no, facile. No. River songs are that great. Oh I think no, they're way, pretty man. facile. And you know, I, I love, like, as I said, the arrangements on those three songs. But at best, this is a burn it record. I don't know if it was the the word of the day or or, or what, but uh, anyway, uh, love the show. I will uh, keep listening and uh, hope not to hear that word (laughs) again. Take care. No more messages. To give us your opinion on sound opinions, call our hotline 1-888-859-1800. We'll be back next week with sound opinions from Chicago Public Radio and American Public Media.